Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Welcome to The Jump. I'm Rachel Nichols, joined by 2008 NBA champ Kendrick Perkins. I was teasing him before we went on the air that he had his Texas jacket on today. And New York <laughs> Times bestseller and our insider, Brian Winhorst from, you know, his extensive home gym. Coming up with prospects like Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, and James Wiseman available. Who needs the number one pick in th- in this year's draft the most? We will talk about that. First, though, let's check out on, on where things stand with the league. In the past few days, we've had sources telling our Adrian Wojnarowski that the NBA and Players Association reached an agreement to extend until September the deadline to decide whether to scrap the collective bargaining agreement. This is, of course, under consideration due to the coronavirus pandemic and the force majeure clause. There was also a conference call with Adam Silver and the Players Association in the last few days where Silver laid out some very tough realities for the league and its finances. So, Brian, why is this all together so critical? Yeah, Rachel, the thing about this is is there's two battles that the NBA has to fight here. Obviously, the most important one is with the virus, but there's no way that the NBA is going to be able to resume operations without a change structure with its league. Let me be very simple here. Right now, they are planning on making $8 next year, and the players are promised four of those dollars. I'm actually talking in billions, but let's keep it simple. (laughs) If we don't get the $8, okay, and we only get the $6 or $5, what about the $4 that the NBA contracts call for? That's essentially the problem that they're going to have to tackle, and that is one of the reasons why Adam Silver has been working alongside the Players Association every single day here, including that call that he had on Friday because he knows if as a country we get to the point where we can get past the virus enough to play basketball again, we need a money deal with the players to actually do so. And listen, this is why I have time and time again, I've said that Adam Silver is the best commissioner in the world. He's a player commissioner. And I love the fact that how the NBA and Adam Silver are joining together with the players and the Players Association and talking it out and coming out and coming coming within a mutual agreement. And you got to respect that. But I love the way that they're working things out together. And now I feel even more optimistic about the season resuming. Um, I think, like I always said, the NBA is in great hands when dealing with Adam Silver. Well, it's only going to get more complicated once you get into the testing question, too, Perk, because on that same call with players, Adam Silver revealed how the league sees all of this. He said the hope is that by the time the league starts back up, likely it's going to be in just either a single site or maybe two sites, and that their idea is that by the time they started playing basketball again, there would be enough testing available to regularly test players every day. And in that environment, if a player tests positive – he alone would need to be removed and quarantined instead of the whole team, kind of like if a guy got injured. Silver mentioned maybe they'd take a quick two-day break for additional testing of everyone, but the entire league would not need to shut down for a month because in this scenario, there would be enough testing and other protocols would help stem any sort of rampant spreading. Now, you're seeing UFC on your screen because we saw a version of this just this last weekend. UFC had a fighter test positive prior to the event, 
They simply just removed him on the card instead of stopping the whole event. Perk, would you be comfortable with that kind of scenario in the NBA? Absolutely, Rachel. And listen, I'm going to take it a, a step further. When you think about the NBA and you think about the guys in the NBA, the players, think about this. C.J. McCullough brought up a great point about three weeks ago. He said that a lot of NBA guys are living check to check, and he's absolutely right. Every NBA player is not a LeBron James, a Kevin Durant, a Russell Westbrook, or Anthony Davis, where they're making extra or hundreds of millions of dollars outside of basketball. So at the end of the day, although it's entertainment to the outside world, this is still our jobs as NBA players. This is what, this is how we provide for our family. This is how we put food on the table. So a lot of guys rely on these checks. And me personally, if I was still playing, I was a 14 year role player. So every dollar was accounted for. And when you think about it, shoot, I mean, in taxes, we pay almost 46, 47% in taxes and then they take another 10% in escrow. So at the end of the day, this is our job. And so, you know, guys have to get back to work to be able to get income and provide for our families. We're no different than the rest. Yeah, it's interesting, Perk. I've definitely heard guys say, yes, if this is how we get back to work, we would do testing every day. But Brian, you and I have been mm -hmm. talking about available testing a lot, right? Whether the NBA would be comfortable with buying private testing for asymptomatic players that's considered an important part of any return to work protocol, but there has seemed to be some public relations fears over doing that. Now, I did notice that on Friday there seemed to be a change in the reporting. The reporting two weeks ago was that the NBA was not comfortable buying up private tests until tests were also widely available to the public to kind of dampen any PR hit. Then on this past Friday, that bar lowered a bit, Brian, to say that teams could buy private tests in states where, not that they were widely available to the public, but where frontline healthcare workers had regular access to public testing. What did you think of that switch and where do you see this going? Rachel, you are absolutely 100% correct. And I say this with no animus and not being flippant. The NBA is making this up as it goes along. It's unprecedented. We don't know. What this is really going to come down to is risk tolerance. How much risk are you willing to take? The UFC fighters and the UFC commissioner, they run a more risky sport. You see their risk tolerance is very high. They've already demonstrated that. The NFL, the risk tolerance and the nature of the sport is a little bit higher. The NBA's risk tolerance as a league is lower. So where is the player's comfort level? Where is Adam Silver's comfort level? Not only with the health, but also with the public perception. That is going to be maybe one of the most important questions, and I don't know if anybody has a solid answer right now. Mark Cuban was asked about this the other day as well. He said that he sees an environment where there is wide testing available, and that would be the key to the NBA return. There's been testimony to Congress in the last week from an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins saying the current testing in public sphere is not yet where it needs to be. So watching that collision course and seeing if those two things can line up is going to be so important for the NBA in the coming weeks. All right, coming up, former Chicago Bull B.J. Armstrong is joining me to discuss what it was like to win three titles with Michael Jordan, the role he played in getting Jordan to come out of retirement in 95, and what it was like to compete then against Jordan in a playoff setting. First, though, it's time for our distant replays. These are all from this date in NBA history. Ori to O'Neal. Oh. And he gets closer to 10 with his second block tonight. 
Here comes Stockton. Three on one. To the wall! Great anticipation by Greg Ostertag to get to Shaquille as he was making his wheel back in. Now they switch and here's Pierce again. A Smith screen. Posey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no regard for human life has given the Cavaliers their biggest lead tonight. Man, oh man, what a punctuating dunk from LeBron James. Got right back to it. Wyatt. Oh! With the left hand. Changed up with McGee in his sights. And the Lakers are just wearing Denver down. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the camaraderie of the other bikers, a band of brothers, always there for you, rain or shine, to the amazing savings you get with Geico on your motorcycle insurance and accessories coverage all year round. But for Bucky Hornhill, it was one reason in particular. It was my helmet hair. I was born with helmet hair. I've tried to cut it a bunch of times, even buzzing it, but it immediately just goes back to helmet hair. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. It's the final two episodes of The Last Dance, Sunday starting at 9 o'clock Eastern. The uncensored version is on ESPN and the app, while the edited for mature language version is on ESPN, too. Welcome back and welcome in DJ Armstrong. So great to have you return to the show. Rachel, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. There's so much in this documentary. Michael Jordan pushing his teammates, being harsh in practices. Judd Bushler says in this documentary, quote, teammates were afraid of him. Do you think some guys were? I don't know if they were afraid. I think um, people hadn't seen the level of intensity that those teams and that group was able to bring. Michael Jordan didn't have that. He didn't he didn't need to have the discipline to practice that hard, but he did. There was no ifs, ands or buts. Either you were all the way in, you were all the way out. And uh, he wanted to make sure that and we all understood that. Well, after winning the third championship in 93, we watch in the documentary, Michael Jordan seemed different. How did you notice that he was different after winning the third one than maybe the first or second one? Well, I think the pressure, the day-to-day pressure of living up to that standard of excellence, eventually it weighs on you. It will warn all of us. And I knew then uh, watching him behind the scenes of just answering the same questions day in and day out that it just wears on you. So eventually... You know, um, you know, we all are human and certainly, you know, he had an ability to block things out. But that was one thing that he wasn't able to block out at that time because there was a lot of pressure, a lot of things going on, not only on the court, but off the court as well. How would you say that the atmosphere changed in that post Jordan year? Scotty really being the leader of the team. 
Well, when Scotty evolved, you know, and post Jordan, it was fabulous to see because really he had an opportunity to really blossom. He was MVP of the All-Star game. He really had a great season and he was hands down by far our best player. I mean, he was just terrific all the way around. And you really got a chance to see how special a player he really was. So let me take you then back to the 94 playoffs, right? You guys are against the Knicks. Scotty, as we know, refuses to go back in the game. But Tony Kukoc hits the game winner anyway. You guys win. What are your memories of the locker room after that? Well, the thing I remember most in that locker room was Bill Cartwright. He didn't say a lot of words, but when he did say something, you knew it was going to be very meaningful. And so, uh, you know, it was just a moment in time. Scotty is our guy. We loved him then. We love him now. And uh, But it was a def- definitely a difficult moment. And it could have been one of those moments that we could have went either right or left. But Bill Cartwright and his leadership kept us right on the track. All right, so let's go to 95. You had a hand in bringing Michael Jordan back. Jordan called you to go to breakfast. Can you tell us about that breakfast and how the rest of the day went? Oh, God, I I really i am so embarrassed about that breakfast because, you know, when you get beat by someone in street clothes, you know, it's it's not good. That's <laughs> It's not good for your confidence. But, you know, I would speak to Michael uh, quite often during that time. And, you know, when he was playing and, and I knew that and just wanted to check in with him to make sure he was okay and, and keep him connected. So um, at that time, you know, we were able to just, you know, he was in Chicago doing something and I said, Hey, why don't you come by? And one thing led to another, we went to breakfast and before you know it, it started going from <laughs> how you doing to trash talking to like, I can beat you and no, you can't. And, and as always, he always wins in the end. So I couldn't believe he did it. And I'm so embarrassed to say that I lost to him. But if I did lose to someone, it had to be him. And uh, it was great to see him back and come back and, and resume uh, doing something that he loves to do. Look, if losing that is what led him to believe, hey, I really could come back to the NBA, that's the best one-on-one match you ever lost, basically. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I can't believe I lost it. I, I mean, I, I still can't believe it. That's just my ego talking. But, you know, it was just great to see him. And uh, and in and, and, and all you know, honesty, it was just great to see him come back. It was great to see him back around the guys. It was great to see him talking trash. And uh, I'm really happy that uh, it turned out that way and that, you know, he was able to, you know, share that with everyone. We had a, you know, he had 55 in the garden. So it was, it was fabulous for him to be back and be back in that environment. Now, you went from Jordan's teammate to his opponent when we got to the 98 playoffs. You were with the Hornets. You hit this clutch shot with Michael guarding you. Michael has since said that your reaction after you hit that shot, that fueled him the rest of the series. Did you realize that? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> Rachel, I did. I, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly what was going on. So, you know, sometimes you get caught in the moment. I, I like when you're in the moment, you always feel you have a chance. So I wanted to make our statement. We wanted to make our statement. And that was a big win for us. That was in game two. And uh, it was a big win. And um, But, you know, like I said, he made the adjustment. That's what the playoffs <laughs> is all about. And he won the series. So, But for one day, I can definitely live about it and talk about it. Absolutely. Well, BJ, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I love seeing your glory days living out on Sunday nights. Have fun. Thank you very much. Coming up on the 35-year anniversary of the Knicks winning the first draft lottery in NBA history, we ask which team needs the number one pick the most this year. Stick around. You're watching The Jump. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. 
We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Tomorrow, it's Warriors night as ESPN continues to look back at two of the most significant games in NBA Finals history. The Game 6 clincher in 2015 is at 7 Eastern. And then Game 3 of the 2017 Finals, that one came down to the final minute. It was really the swing game and the Warriors avenging what had happened the year before. And today, coming up at 4 o'clock Eastern, it's Jalen and Jacoby. Welcome back, guys. Highly questionable around the horn. A two-hour sports center is at 5 p.m. Eastern with the PTI guys joining at 5.30. And we cap the day with SVP. And right now, here on The Jump, here's a look back at one year ago today. This is the first Game 7 last-second buzzer beater in NBA history. After that dramatic shot to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, Kawhi Leonard, of course, led the Raptors to a win over eventual MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks. Then Kawhi won Finals MVP as the Raptors prevented the Warriors from winning their third straight title. So, Perk. Now, it's important to remember that game was tied at the time. So, if Kawhi hadn't made it, the game would have gone into overtime. But he did make it. How did that change the <laughs> landscape of the NBA? Do you think that if he hadn't made that shot somehow, the cards would have turned for Giannis and the Bucks to win it all? Well, well, listen, Rachel. The landscape was already was already changed way before that shot. The landscape was changed when they acquired Kawhi Leonard because one word comes to mind when I think about the Toronto Raptors and Masai Ujiri: risk. They took a risk in getting Kawhi Leonard, knowing that he was on his last year of his deal and that they possibly could lose him. But Masai Ujiri was like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance because I could win an NBA title. So with that being said, it ended up working out. So he took a risk. But it's like almost being in high school, Brian and Rachel. Like, you know, you go to homecoming dance. Uh, every year during the, uh, your, your high school career, and all of a sudden, you know, you get that date, that one date you go to, you go to homecoming, and you have a ball. But then your senior year come around, and you want to go for the gusto. So you want to go for the prettiest girl in the school because at the end of the day, you want to win homecoming king. And then that's what you end up doing, and you have that memory forever. So when you look back on the Toronto Raptors and what they've done for us, 
getting Kawhi Leonard, that homecoming, that homecoming, <laughs> homecoming queen <laughs> king type dude. They won, and they're going to be talked about for the rest of their lives. Yeah, Perk, uh, I can't relate to that uh, analogy. <laughs> but what I can say is that uh, Kawhi Leonard is one of the most laid-back men you will ever meet. And you saw his reaction after making that shot because in the moment he knew how big of a moment that was for him and everybody involved with him. Um, you know, the Bucks were ahead in that next series two games to nothing and had the lead in game three. So, yes, it could have changed history because they ended up with the best player having to go up against him. But I have no sad feelings for the Bucks. What I will say is I think that this game was going to get won by the Raptors in overtime anyway. And we would end up with the same champion, not to take away from the moment. Well, look, to your point, though, whether the Raptors won on that shot or another one, Perk, I do think that the influence of the Raptors winning the title last year is it is encouraging general managers to take that risk more often. If the Raptors mm-hmm. had been eliminated in the second round, I think GMs would have been like, they gave up all that and they just had a second round playoff loss. The fact that they won the title is kind of setting the stage for some of the other riskiness we saw over the summer. Some big, big <laughs> trades and deals got done. All right. I want to also talk about another anniversary because New York Knicks hoops fans on this date in 1985, the Knicks won the first ever NBA draft lottery. I'm not going to mention an envelope. You mentioned an envelope. They would go on to select Patrick Ewing, who led the Knicks to 13 playoff appearances, two finals appearances in his time with the team. Looking at the teams now, Brian, with the worst records this season, who are the New York Knicks of right now? Who most needs to land the top pick? Not who's most likely. We know the Warriors are in the pole position, but who needs the most to land the, the top pick? The answer is the same. The answer is the same. The two worst teams, the Cavs and Warriors, because both of those guys need big men, and this is light on big men, heavy on guards in this draft. If you're the Knicks, a team who needs guards, you can be okay getting the third or fourth pick. Uh, If you're the Cavs or Warriors, you want to get James Wiseman, you might need to have that number one pick. Well, listen, Brian, I, I, I have to disagree. The New York Knicks are saying they're looking for a star. Well, I tell you what, they could draft one, and they could draft one in the kid called LaMelo Ball. He is a star in the making. He is box office. And, Rachel, you know this is one of my favorite times of the year because I'm able to study these draft prospects. But I'm not able to watch college basketball. I'm not able to watch college basketball right now because of the pandemic. So I have to go to one of my sources, and I shouldn't be giving this up. But 20, I go to Sports Talk 2319 by (laughs) Rashad Phillips. And he had LaMelo Ball going to the Knicks, and I'm right there with him. Listen, this kid has played overseas. He's played on a professional level for two and a half years, and it's time for the Knicks to get that star and not go out and try to trade or sign an old star or a star that's already in the league. Draft one, and that is LaMelo Ball. (laughs) I just want us to get to a draft. All right, Brian, before we go, you had an update this morning on the NBA situation in China. What is it? Yeah, so CCTV, the television juggernaut in China, put out its first statement that it's made in months about the NBA. Mostly they've stayed silent. The NBA really, Rachel, wants to badly get back on television in China, but they haven't been able to do it. And Steve CT's statement was, even if the NBA comes back soon, the games will not be on television. An icy relationship remains between China and the U.S. 
Yeah, I mean, that is really leads back to our money conversation at the top of the show because obviously Chinese dollars, it's big revenue for the league, not just with TV contracts, but also fan engagement there. All right, Perk, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see everyone tomorrow. Same time, same place.